Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is Michael Gags30 Gagliano. Gags has been lighting up the poker streets as a professional since the late 2000s and has been a respected poker coach for almost a decade. Despite experiencing mixed emotions about the whole poker career path deal, Michael settled in and has experienced an extremely successful journey thus far, having cashed for more than $2 million in live tournaments, despite battling primarily in the online streets. A few of Michael's career highlights include a gold bracelet earning victory for 448k during the 2016 WSOP, a bronze medal finish in the 3k 6 max event, notably one of the toughest tournaments year in and year out at the 2017 WSOP, and over $4 million in lifetime caches in the online poker arena. In today's episode with Michael Gags30 Gagliano, you're going to learn why your favorite podcast host may have oversimplified in expressing his opinion on some of the trickier problems online poker operators are facing, how Gags struggled internally with having never taken down a major MTT, and how it felt to finally close the deal, what it was like being staked by former CPG guest and poker legend Mark Dipthrong Herm, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you poker coach and MTT great Michael Gags30 Gagliano. Michael, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Uh, good, good, good. Thanks for having me. You know, pleasure to be here. I've listened to a bunch of your your stuff, and I'm excited. Awesome, man. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Thanks to Lucy for making this connection. Who's yeah, I I, I love Lucy. Just an amazing, she's, amazing she's human. Yeah, she definitely is. I, I've known her for a long time. It's actually a long time now. I guess it's been over ten years now. We've been connected in poker. We we, we worked together with. Uh, I coached her for a bit, and you know, we've just. Uh, always kept connection you know met up when we kind of travel and stuff and uh she's been a phenomenal poker player and just really crushed for the years and definitely has flown under the radar a bit which is always i think kind of cool but i always talk about her i always think she's one of the most impressive star stroke graphs i've ever seen she's always my reference for someone who's just crushed poker for so long and most of us don't even know her name so yeah yeah i mean it's it's funny the people who just crush for a very long time and you never hear about them you never know anything about them uh, that's something that's very near and dear to me because uh, as a cash game player, it's like you, nobody knows anything. There's no sharp for scope sure. for cash game no, players, right? No. Well, it's funny because, you know, I, I more recently, since really since Black Friday, uh, I've played a lot more cash games. And, you know, people know less about me now because I'm not as public. You're really only public when you're playing not just tournaments, but, but big tournaments and especially live tournaments. Because, you know, Lucy's a great example. She's played tournaments forever. but you know, just because she doesn't play live a ton, she doesn't play super high rollers a ton, like that type of stuff. Most people don't know her, but she's, again, just just crushed over the years. So it's, it's 
it really just depends on kind of the, the, the what niche world you're in, you know, whether it's sit and goes or, or this type of tournament or satellites or there's plenty of people that cross that people have no idea who they are. So it's a, it's and, a unique world. Yeah, it really is. And at least in my case, it's embarrassing how little I know about tournament players, because again, like, I mean, there's no reason there, there wasn't sure. a reason before I started sure. the podcast for me to look people up or know anything about them. And yep. so a lot of times I'll have people on the show that are relatively well-known in the poker world. I don't really have much interaction with them and it's just all, I, I never know what to expect, but I'm always just blown away by the, the humans that live in this world that are successful, right? Like I'm just, they're always unique. They, they're always just pleasures to have on the show. Um, I think it's really changed too after, you know, poker used to be, you look 10, 15 years ago, there was one market. It was the world market. Everyone played on the same poker sites. Everyone knew of the live tournaments. There weren't that many live tournament series. You know, there were some in America, there were some in Europe, and most people knew what they were. There was the WPT, there was the World Series, there was the EPTs. There's so much, there's so many smaller segregated markets, so many smaller tours and you know, you go out to the West Coast of the U.S. or East Coast, there's guys that only play on certain coasts, and they crush these semi-local tours, and no one knows who they are. You know, maybe they're not the best poker players in the world, but they're still very good, and they're still crushers for these tours making a good living. And it's the same thing online. You have, you have the obviously, the international market with GG and Party and whatever else. You have these local markets now in the U.S. with these regional markets with the regulation of poker. You have the French market, the Italian market. There's guys in all these markets making money. So it, it, it really does separate things and make it harder to know everyone, unlike, you know, years ago. Yeah, but it's good for me in the podcasting space because sure. it means that there's always more untold stories of people who exactly. are winning poker player exactly. than, that you just stumble into, you know? Definitely, definitely. How, how does it feel, by the way? You said you've known Lucy for 10 years. How, how does it feel yeah. knowing be, being a poker coach and knowing somebody for over 10 years? Because at least in my experience, I still think of myself as somewhat of a young person, but I'm also coming right. to the conclusion that anytime I can say that, like, I've almost been doing this for 20 years, that pretty you much makes, make, makes me not a young person. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I, I've been playing poker. I left the last job I had, I left at the beginning of 2009. And that was when I, I didn't kind of decide to play professionally, but I, I said, I'm, I don't like this job. I'm going to leave. And I'm going to see what happens, you know, and, and, and my mom was, you know, oh, you got to, you got to get a job, you got to get a job. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to play poker and going to Vegas in a couple months. And, you know, after that, I'll get a job. And, you know, she stayed on me. Oh, you're going to get a job soon. You're going to get a job soon. And I was like, next month, mom, next month, definitely. And I mean, that was 11 years ago and it just never, never got that job. Sorry, mom. But, um, but yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's really cool because I, I, I've gotten to see people that, you know, I've worked with such a large number of people and, and and in such different capacities. There's been people that I've worked with that I've coached for multiple years and, and really just, it's been like, you know, almost a, a mentorship over a long time. And um, there's been other people that I've worked with and we've done, you know, two or three sessions. And I've worked with a lot of people that went on to do great things. And, you know, it, it's really cool to watch and see where they wound up. And did I make those people do those great things? No, not really. But I, I was a step along the way to help people, you know, hopefully I'd like to think continue to, to get to that point. So, um, yeah, it's just really cool. It's just really cool to get to see and, and see the poker world change to people that were doing one type of, you know, what we talked about. Some people were really playing MTTs or really playing cash and they transitioned to something else and found success there, which is, which is just, it's just been awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's also like people like Jungle or Jason Kuhn that switch to the mix games and just yeah. play like yeah. nosebleed giant mix games, um, which, which is also awesome too. It's like at the the next frontier that they go off to conquer in poker. So you alluded to your story a little. We typically start mm-hmm. this show out by going through your journey through poker. So before sure, sure. 2009, you know, let's talk about what led you to this world in the first place. How old were you? What year was it? So let's see, I graduated high school in 2003. And sometime in high school, me and my friends, high school friends started playing cards. We would play these carnival games of, you know, different variants of Chicago and all all kinds of nonsense games that, you know, and my one friend was starting to get into Texas Hold'em. He used to want to play, and we'd play dealer's choice. You'd go around the table, each person would pick, you'd play one game, one round of the game, one hand, you know, so my buddy would pick Texas Hold'em, and we would literally play one hand of Texas Hold'em before moving on to the next game, and we didn't like it. We were like, ah, this is boring, because it was one hand. Nothing happened with one hand of Hold'em, but so, so poker was always like something that I kind of was, was interested in. Uh, when I went to college, I was playing, I played a lot of pool, like I, I shot pool like all day long in college and I got pretty decent and I was, I was kind of getting into it. Um, and at the same time, I read the book, uh, Bring Down the House, the blackjack, the book about the MIT blackjack team that eventually got turned into the movie 21, which the movie's terrible. Don't even bother watching the movie. Go read the book. It's a really short, good read. That interested me in blackjack and just more into the gambling world. You know, it, it got me into like the idea of counting cards. And I was like, this is so cool. Like, and I don't want to say I thought I could do that, but like I, I was, you know, 18, 19 years old in college with all day by myself. I don't know to do. So I, I started like counting cards and learning how to do that. And I couldn't go to the casino for another two years, but, you know, uh, I was into it and I thought it was cool. And I was like, ah, maybe I could make some extra money doing this or playing pool. I was thinking in my head, like, this is what I'm going to do instead of working a crappy job this summer for, you know, seven, eight bucks an hour, I'll, I'll make some money doing this. And at some point, I don't know what pushed me there. I just found poker online and I was like, I was playing play money poker. And I was like, this is fun. This is cool. This is like blackjack kind of. And, and I got into it and I've always just been a gamer. Like my whole life, I played video games and, you know, I find something that I enjoy and I, I don't want to say I obsess over it, but I, I like to really just, dive into it and break it down and like get good at it you know i was always one of those guys that i played video games but i played like one video game just over and over and over and over and over again you know when we were in high school and even in college we played smash brothers on nintendo 64 it was literally all i did was play that game and we played for hours and hours and hours and i got really good um and now i got to the point where i was in college and i was playing a lot of uh playing counter-strike back in the back then and, and I wasn't that good. I wasn't, I didn't like dive into it like I did, but then poker hit me and I was like, this is so much fun. I want to figure this out. I started reading every book I could and, and just getting into it. And, and I remember it was, it was pokerroom.com I played on and you started the thousand play money chips and the biggest buy-in they had was a nine person. I think it was a, either a thousand or maybe 5,000 chips, like a sit and go. The most you could win in a sit and go was like maybe 30,000 chips or whatever, but I eventually turned my thousand into a million and I was like so proud of that. Like that was like my shining accomplishment, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of snowballed. Um, I, I started putting money on, you know, uh, really not until 2005 or six. It was a couple of years where I really started like playing for real money. What were you in school to be? Like what, what was your, what did your path look like? Well, 
I didn't know. And that was, that was part of what kind of led me to really finding poker was that I just really didn't know what I wanted to do. What do you mean um, by really that? Good, you, you didn't know. Like, I didn't know what to study in school. I, I couldn't really pick a direction. Um, I was really good at math. I was always a math person. Um, incredibly good at math in high school. Got really good at my SATs and stuff like that. Uh, and I, I had a passion with music. I'm a musician. I, I play a couple instruments and I was just really into music, especially when I was younger. Um, and so I, I decided, I was like, oh, I'd like to go into that field. I knew I wasn't going to be a musician, uh, but I was like, I like the idea of audio engineering and like sound recording, like that type of stuff. So that was like my pipe dream kind of thing. And, and I started going to school for that, but mom, my mom was like, you can't, that's an impossible field to get into. Like you really need a backup plan. So she convinced me to do like audio engine or sorry, electrical engineering with a minor in audio, like audio engineering and sound recording, um, okay. which just makes sense. That's like a really smart kind of, you know, yeah, plan. It's logical, right? Like tell, tell me about your mom's influence because I see your mom's influence in yes. your college yes. direction and then later in <laughs> poker. So like, what is she, what does she want Michael to do? Uh, she wants me to have a nice safe job with steady income is what she wants me to do. She doesn't want me to play poker, but she's always been, she was always the person that like, she was open for anything though. Like she was, you know, uh, like I, I would like want to go to, like, I was young. I was like, maybe, I don't know. I was be younger and want to go somewhere like a concert or something. And, and she'd be like, you can't go by yourself if you're too young or whatever. And I'm like, well, my friend's older brother is going to take us. And he's like some 18 year old knucklehead, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. no, he really, he's going to come over. He'll pick me up. We'll drive, you know? And, and she'd be like, no, you're not going. And then I'm uh, sure I would always, she would always let me go. And she'd just be a nervous wreck. But, um, Rightfully so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but it was always, that was always her thing. But she was always supportive in, you know, in anything that I, I wanted to do or pursue and that, and that kind of stuff. So, um, but so she convinced me to do that engineering with, with a minor. And I, I hated it. I was never, I was so out on school. School was the worst thing for me. I didn't have, didn't want to give it the time of day. I, I almost failed out because I was just, never going to class. I would skip class to go to like concerts and go visit my friends. And I, I was going to school in Massachusetts and I used to drive down the, my girlfriend at the time was in Philadelphia. I used to drive every weekend, like seven, eight hours, like back and forth. And just, I was doing insane things. And I, I was like, I have to get out of this school. So I left it for one semester and came back to Jersey where I started living at home and just going to like a county college. Um, well, I tried to get into other schools and stay more local, but uh, this is, I'm really, I really can talk all day here. Um, I, I turned it. So I turned, I, long story short, I wound up going to Rutgers and I followed my next passion, at least in school, which is sciences. I always was into science. And I picked a major that thought was interesting to me, which was geology, which is a very strange major to most people. Um, it is a very odd major. Most schools don't even have it. I think there's only three schools in New Jersey that have it as a major, uh, but it's a great field. You can get into the oil industry and make a ton of money helping these oil companies look for oil and other stuff like that. Um, that's the big one. Uh, how did you, how did you even find geology? Like how, how was it even an, an option through, for you? I went through the list of, of majors and classes that were available and I looked at, and I saw geological sciences and I was looking at, what's the thing I was looking at? Uh, I forget what the name of it was, uh, but it was like meteorology was one of them like, like weather, like that type of stuff. Um, and then there was one more, like just these weird sciences, these weird kind of earth sciences that I've always loved that stuff. I liked rocks as a kid. I was into geology, you know? And so I was like, ah, oh, this sounds cool. You know, and I took an intro geology class and I was like, this is great. Talk 
volcanoes and rocks. And yeah, this is great. I love this stuff. But yeah, again, that it's just, man, the school is just, I, I was so bad in school. I never went to class. I just, I skipped so many classes and just, just barely, barely, barely got, got by, by, by the skin of my teeth, just because I, I, I'm kind of smart and can like cram stuff in for a test and, and that kind of thing. And why? I really started finding poker. Why wasn't school for me? Yeah. Well, why did, why did, was school such a struggle? Because I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like I never, I, I'm still in my gap year, you know, almost 20 years now. And yeah, I never, yeah. I never went to school because I hated high school so much. I couldn't take it. It was, I was bored. I slept all the time. I skipped school. Same. I hated it. Same. same. I, I don't know. I, I just, so, so high school to me felt like a waste of time. Like, same. Yeah, Everything of course. Everything we were doing was just, it was just nonsense. It, it wasn't hard. The stuff that was hard was only hard because it was a lot of work. It wasn't hard because it was challenging. Like anything that I kind of just sat in and read and put my mind into, it was just easy. It was just boring to me. And like, I'm not some genius, you know, like I, I consider myself intelligent, but I, I'm, there's people that are way smarter than me. And like, I just think high school wasn't challenging at all. And I don't think most people are challenged if they put the time in. So there was no, that wasn't for me. It wasn't, I like figuring things out. I like stuff being hard and, and want to figure that out. Like that's why I think poker drew me so much is because it, it's never ending. It's, it's very hard. You can always get better and always learn more and always figure people out better, figure your opponents out better, figure situations out better. And so it's always something to improve on. This is why I dive into these video games because I want to sit down and find the video game, figure it out and get better and better and better and better. And like high school was just like, I just mastered it. I felt like I, I was not putting any effort in and getting decent grades. I mean, my mom was not happy with my grades, but they were fine because I knew they weren't that important. I wasn't going to go to some Ivy League college. I just needed to get by, and that's what I did. You it, know, it's just, I mean, it, it seems so obvious looking back on it. To this. Yeah, I hope my kids never listen to this, but you know, like it just, I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, I, I, I just hated it. I just hated the idea of like being forced to do the stuff that was meaningless and, I think school is basically just jail for kids so that their parents can ways, go to, can go to work. Go. That's a, right. of course. Yeah. yeah like, sure. that, that, that's ultimately sure. what it, what it boils down to. Like, I think that like, and it's reflected in the education system in, in the United States, I, I think is like, yeah, the, it's basically, we want to open the schools up in the pandemic just so the parents can get back to doing stuff. You because need you, you need that for sanity, for, for work, for the economy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. But no, I, I, I will tell my kids, I guess, when, when they ask me, like, no, I, I hate school. I hated school. I did not like it. It was not stimulating. It was not fun to me. It just wasn't. There are people that it was fun and stimulating yeah, to yeah. that that were smarter than me and did better than me at school. But like for me, it just – I have ADD. You can see like I'm rocking in my chair. I'm moving <laughs> around. I don't like, I don't like being told sure. what to do. I'm anti-authority, and I don't like being still. Like I just, you know, school is not the place for that. No, it is definitely not the place. You know, I'm in math. Like if I come to the right answer and you want me to show my work and do things your way, fuck that noise. Why? Like I I'm coming, I'm getting the answers right. Like, why are you, I don't want to do it your way. Like I have my way that makes sense. So anyway, school, long story short. Yeah, school wasn't working, but, um, I came, I picked geology. I thought it'd be fun. I took an intro class and it seems good so i picked that and honestly it was a it was a great major for me because it was a really small major i had mostly like seven eight kids in most of my classes for the core classes and they really just they needed to push people through the program to keep the numbers up 
like they weren't going to let me fail out of the program. They were going to like stay on top of me and like, which is what I needed. Um, but I had, a, I had a lot of fun. It was a great, it was such a close knit group of people because it was the same people you, you sign, you're, you're this year, you're the same kids in every one of your classes. You know, the, the teachers all know each other. And I mean, we went on all kinds of field trips to go out into the field and look at stuff. It was just fun. I mean, I, we were the only major that I knew that had a full cabinet full of beer that like on a Friday, you were like, class is done and everyone was hanging out. And they're like, ah, come have some beers with the teachers, you know, like that kind of thing. It was just, it was just, it was just neat. I, I like looking back, I wish I put more in there because it was just fun. Because it was a really cool field and it was really like a, a lot of fun. Um, but again, I, I knew I wasn't going to use that degree. I knew that there was no way I was going to use a degree. My mom was, my mom was a teacher for years and years, but she wanted me to teach. She always pushed me towards that, but she wanted me to just go back to school after I was done and get a teaching degree. That was her dream was I would just do that because she thought I was good at that. And I was good with kids. So that was what she wanted me to do. But to do anything with a geology degree, I found out as I'm going through geology, uh, you need a master's degree, which Rutgers had a great one of the best master programs in the country, as far as I'm concerned, for geology. Um, and I knew there was no way I was going back to school after I graduated, which I did barely. It took me an extra semester or two, but I did graduate. But so that, so now we're we're into like 2007, and poker really slowed me, started slowing me down my last year or so in college. Like I didn't start playing online until 2006 or so, and I was playing for I was so scared to lose money because I had hardly any money. I did not have a lot of money, and and I didn't want to. Be one of those people to, to lose a lot of money you know it, i've had people there are people in my family that lost a lot of money gambling with sports betting and different types of stuff so and my mom was super anti-gambling so it was always like this big don't become a gambler you know you got to be really careful with that type of thing it's a vice you know and so i was trying to be smart and i would put 50 bucks online as soon as i won any amount of money i would pull it off so like i was going through this cycle of like running 50 dollars into 150 dollars withdrawing a hundred and then playing with the 50, losing the 50, putting 50 back on, going back up to a hundred, withdrawing 50. It was just this, and I never could go anywhere because I was playing small stakes sit and goes for five and for $10. I was making money, but it was such a small amount and I was just cycling it in and out. I don't really know how much I made. I probably made a few hundred dollars, you know, here and there, but I started getting into MTTs in like 2007. And I remember like racing home from class to try to, register you know the pokestars three rebuy started at i think it was 3 15 or three o'clock you only had i think three and a half minutes or whatever the time was of late reg at that point so if <laughs> i raced home i could get in and register uh and i would do that and i would just do that you know all day all, all day is all i would do was, was start playing these bigger tournaments and, and, and try to go deep and stuff but that was really the the spark and, and again like i didn't think i was going to ever become like necessarily a professional but i just wanted to make extra money and I'll, I'll never forget, In it was 2007, I was working part-time at this music store in school, or near near my home, and I had saved up, maybe, I had probably $1,000 in the bank, in college, I have, you know, no money. And there was this digital camera, digital cameras are first coming around, this big uh, SLR that I wanted, this Nikon, and I was into photography, taking pictures and stuff, and it was on sale, it's usually like 800 bucks, and this one place had it on sale for like 750 or whatever it was, and I was like, Fuck it. I'm doing it. I had probably had 900 bucks in my, it was the <laughs> dumbest thing I've, I, I've ever done because I had no money and I bought it. And, and my, my friend, my wife now, she was my friend at the time. Um, she's like, why, why would you do like, why would you buy that? So I was like, ah, it was a good deal. I just wanted it. I got to do it, you know? And the following day I played a $10 tournament and I've never had any sort of big score. I, I 
won it or got second or chops or whatever it was for like, I think it was 1200 bucks. And I was like through the roof. So I paid for the camera and I really felt like I could do this. All right. That wasn't that bad of a decision, but I think I got bailed out, you know, but that, that was, uh, that was it. I found tournaments. I love tournaments. Cash games are boring back then to me. It felt like the same thing over and over and it was less to figure out because especially back then there was no solvers or, you know, anything advanced in poker. It was just, just figure out the best strategy. And it felt like, oh, it's a cash game. You just play tight and let the other guys give you their money because they're bad. And it felt boring to me. Tournaments was a lot more battling. And again, it felt like this to me at the time. I, I think looking back that that wasn't true, especially at higher levels, but um, the level I was playing, it was, it was boring to me. Yeah, um, it, it wasn't true, but yeah. I, could, I could see how that, that would be the perception. And, and I from, played a $50, yeah. From the <laughs> other, other side of it, though, is like... you. The cash game side is like, oh, they're tournament guys. Like, they're whatever. They're great at 13 big blind poker. Like, whoop sure, do You know, sure. that, that's it. I think it's like from both sides are like sure. looking looking down well, on each other. I've always said it's just it's just different games. It's like it's like taking a sprinter and a marathon runner and having them look at each other and say, well, you're a bad runner. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. just because you can't sprint and just because you can't run a marathon doesn't mean that they're both bad. They're both good at what they do. You know, it's, it's, it's just different. So yeah, I don't know that that was uh, that was kind of it. I, I just started I just started kind of winning and doing better at that point, 2007. I got a job working full time at an elementary school as a staff assistant, which is what I did for two years, and I, I just started making money playing poker. I would, I would I the job was brutal because I was working in a special needs class, which was cool. I enjoyed it. It was challenging. It was different, but it was just uh, it's tiring. It's a tough you know, working with these kids all, all day one-on-one is, 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 is challenging. Everyone, it's tiring too. And, and I would be, then stay up at night. So I was playing poker until midnight, 1 a.m. and waking up five o'clock in the morning to go to work. And it just, it was not sustainable. Um, but I was making money playing poker. I started getting better. And, and finally, the school was getting to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. And I said, I'm going to leave. And I was planning on going to Vegas for, uh, for the summer. And so I said, I left in, I think it was like April and May. And uh, that was that was kind of it. It's so funny how obvious it is in hindsight, right? You're searching for a thing. Like, what am I going to do? Like, is it geology? Uh, don't want to get my master's degree. Like, what thing? Like, how am I going to find my place in the world? And yet, when school ends, you're racing home to Reg for, to play a poker tournament because you're so mm-hmm. excited to mm-hmm. play. The, like, it, it's so obvious that, like, you're drawn to this one thing that you have the ability to make money doing. Um, and yeah, it, it's just eventually you f- realize like, Oh, I really like doing this thing. I'm spending all my time doing this thing. I'm staying awake all night. So I'm winning money. Maybe I should just do this thing. And well, that's, that's the problem though, is that it's so hard poker, especially to be able to objectively say I'm making money long-term doing this. There are so many people, especially when you're playing tournaments, there's so many people that make money for one, two, three years only to find out they actually can't do this full time. You know, whether it was they had it and they lost it or the games got tougher or they never had it and were just running well. I've seen that play over uh, so many times over the, over the course of my, my career that it's really hard. And I was always afraid. I was always such a giant, giant mitt when it comes to bankroll and putting stuff on the line. It, it actually probably has hurt me because if I moved up earlier, I would have probably made a lot more money because I, I was good back then. Um, I was just so afraid to play higher buy-ins and even the Sunday mill, $200. I was just afraid to put $200 in. I was just, it felt like too much money to me. See, I took the 
other path of being just overconfident to a level that is just idiotic of like, yeah, yeah whatever. Like I'm going to 18 years old, 19 years old, I'm going to read super system. I'm going to read these books. I'm going to make it work and I'm going to be successful. And like, just told mm-hmm. everybody before I even started, like, yeah, I'm going to yep. play poker professionally. This is what I'm going to do. And in, in a lot of ways that overconfidence uh, or ignorance being 20 years old was very beneficial to me because it just, I took more chances. I took more risks. I just had this belief that like, yeah, I think if it's cards, I'm good at playing cards and I'm going to be able to outthink people because I've played cards before. I've outthought people before. And I think that I'm going to be successful at this. And then it was like, you know, obviously I think I had a bad mentor as it relates to bankroll management (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. where they're just playing like whatever they want to play. Um, So like, it wasn't exactly a shock that like, $200 tournament on party. It's like, yeah, okay. I've got a thousand in my account. Like, let's just buy into this nightly 200 K guaranteed and see what happens. But, um, I was, I was just, I was always afraid to go broke. Like as I, my bankroll started getting bigger and the money I had in the bank, I started collecting money in the bank. I just never moved up ever at any point. I was always afraid. Um, and so in 2009, right when I left my job, I started getting backed full time. And, And that was like, that, that was such a bigger thing back then. There was so many more backers and all this stuff. And that was so good for me because I had to, I got to stop worrying about buy-ins and, and stop worrying about, is this tournament too much money? And I could buy into these 200 at the time and $500 tournaments and stuff and, you know, feel more like kind of okay about it. And I felt like I couldn't lose. I felt like that made my mom feel really good too, that, you know, uh, that I, I didn't have to worry about losing my money. Although she's, she's, you know, from more of a background, you know, my family's Italian. And she was always worried that my backer was going to like come and break my kneecaps if I lost money or something like that. Oh yeah. Uh, my backer was, my backer was Mark Herm, who I know was on your show not that long ago. Um, yeah. And uh, she met him like, we went, we wound up, we were like in his area and he, and he's, and we wound, we wound up, she wound up meeting him and she's like, and he's like, he was younger than me first off, which was kind of funny to her. And he's like the nicest person ever when you meet him. Like, and so she's like, this is your backer. And I'm like, yeah, like I told you, he's not like, it's not some like mafia thug that's gonna cut my out and kill me. But um yeah, I was just even even as being back, I was still like risk adverse. And I remember there was a full tilt had with F Tops, they had a I think it was a two thousand dollar six max, twenty five hundred dollar six max. It had to be a it had to be a two K, yeah. Um and I was never thought I would play in that because it was such a like top tournament. It was a top tournament, it's a high buy-in, it was one of the tougher ones that existed and I remember asking Mark, I was like, I won satellites. I won like probably three or four satellites to that tournament. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking maybe, you know, I should fire it. And he's like, of course you should play it. Like, why would you not play it? And I was like, well, I don't know. It's $2,000. Like, is it too hard and like too much? And he's like, he's like, yeah, but like, you're good enough. Let's just get in there and play it and, and see what happens. You know, I was like, all right, like, I guess. And I would have never played that if he didn't like push me into that. And I wound up getting like seventh or eighth for like, like 40 or 50K or something. And like that was huge. Like that was huge for me. And just like that was really just a big like confidence boost. Like, oh, I can play at this level with these people. And like I can take chances. I should do that. And so that definitely helped me get kind of going in that direction a bit. Yeah, I mean, I I could certainly see how like historical problems with gambling and mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. risk aversion is it, it, it's obviously like an existential threat, right? It's like, oh, if I lose all my money, what do I do? Like in it, it it feels like you are at risk, especially when your bankroll is somewhat small. 
funnily yeah. enough, like as your bankroll gets bigger, then the fears kind of grow because then you don't want to be the person that had the big bankroll that just exactly. blew exactly. it all. So like no matter how yeah. much money you have, you're always there. You always have that fear of going broke. Yeah. Yeah. I still have it. I mean, I still have it today. I'm not afraid of going broke, but like, I'm afraid of losing like too much money where I don't like mentally, it's hard to mentally recover. Like if I, if I, if I play in a really big cash game, and, and like really lose a lot of like a bunch of money. Like I'd be fine the following day from a financial standpoint, but like mentally, I feel like it would hurt me to the point where like, I don't know, I'd be like afraid to then to play big and like maybe put me back on my heels. And like, like that's always been a struggle for me. You know, just kind of getting over that being like, no, 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 like you're, don't be stupid. Like go for it. Like you're, you're obviously good at poker. And like, you know, if you lose, just get it back next time. You know, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. So you got to just be willing to take those swings. And instead of looking at dollars, I try to look at, you know, big blinds and, 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 and like percentages of bankroll. So if you think of it in that way, what percentage are you swinging of your bankroll? When your bankroll grows, the dollar amount you swing is going to grow, but the percentage shouldn't be growing that much, you know? Um, and, and that's, again, the, using things like that has helped me take more risks and take more shots. And I mean, it works out. Like when you're a good poker player, you, you generally should be taking some shots in the right situations. And, you know, uh, I think it holds some, definitely, definitely held me back throughout my career. Yeah, me uh, me like too. Me too. Like it, it's just there's only one way to get used to it, right? There's only one way to get used to losing 10k in a day and that's just to lose 10k in a day a mm-hmm. bunch of times, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to the point yeah. where it just feels like a Tuesday. Um yeah. and, and it's not like just devastating. And that's really it's just reps immersion and you get used to it. It's like, "Oh, well, okay. I used to be afraid of losing $1000 in a day and now I guess I'm, my fear is losing $40,000 in a day. Yeah. And it, it yeah. just kind of grows like that. Um, you mentioned, so you mentioned coaching Lucy, right? So this is around that same yes. time period. When did you start coaching people? Because that's I, your, your, this is your mom's dream coming true, right? You're, you're becoming <laughs> a teacher. Yeah. The steady, steady income. She, she always loved the, uh, the steady income of, of coaching that, that she could, she could then tell people, Oh, he plays poker, but he coaches too. He makes a lot of students and he does well that way, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I started like pretty much right about the same time, like 2009 or so, like pretty much as soon as I made this transition, like playing, you know, I, I guess full time. Cause I, I was really big on like pocket fives and a little bit on two plus two, but mostly pocket fives is really big back then with the U S market. It was just the site to be on as far as the forum goes. I had a lot of people that were just like asking me for coaching, like hitting me up and looking for coaching and stuff. And so I just kind of started, I, I was not charging a lot of money and I was, you know, I was probably playing like 50 and a hundred dollar tournaments, something like that. And I was coaching people that were playing like, you know, $10 tournaments, like that kind of stuff. And it just kind of grew from there. Like I just kind of pretty steadily had people hitting me up saying, Hey, do you offer coaching or, Hey, I'm looking for coaching. You, you know, can you help me? Um, and it was just something to do that was just kind of fun. That was just extra kind of extra income. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, just, it really got me a lot of exposure to people that um, kind of started, some people that started becoming like my circle of, of people that I started, you know, um, I had started backing people too. Because again, like backing was like the cool thing to do back then. Everybody was, it, it's it's funny like talking to people now because I feel like a lot of people don't realize how it was. Like in tournaments, everybody was backed. Like there were very few people that weren't backed. It was like odd if you weren't backed. There was a couple of different big stables and this type of stuff. Um, 
it was very incestuous too. Like people would like me and person A would back person B and then person B and person C would back person D. But then person D was backing the person A that I was backing somebody with. Like it was really weird like that. Um, and there was constantly people were swinging and constantly going broke because they were backing people that either weren't good or just were swinging. So if you weren't ready to take a hundred K hit on someone, then they would have to get back themselves. So it was that, that's why it was such a weird thing. But um, so I started backing a couple of people for really low stakes tournaments, you know, again, like $5, $10, $20 tournaments and making, I was coaching them a little bit and making some money that way. So that brought more people into my circle and coaching was a way for me to like kind of vet people to see if I could back them too, which was nice. It was like a free, some people I would just meet and I would do one lesson with them and be like, this guy's going to be good. I can like, let's, I'll back you. Like, do you want me to coach you full time? And I'll back you. And then, you know, but yeah, I just, it just, it just was, uh, it's just something to do. And I did it a couple of days a week for a couple hours and it just, it kind of spiraled into like more of a semi-regularly, semi-full-time thing. I mean, I think it got to the point where after Black Friday happened in 2011 and I wasn't playing anymore, I needed a way to make money. And, and that coaching was like a really big, I started really putting in the effort to like try to get students. And I was coaching like, man, like I would do like eight, nine hours of coaching a day sometimes. Like, cause it was getting to the point where I needed to like really have a schedule because I was so many people, it was taking my whole week. And I was like, all right, I'm going to coach two days, like Thursdays and Fridays. So I put everyone into those days and then just went all day. It was, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was tiring for me, but kept me good it kept me fresh in poker and kept me it kept me like you know like like around like it kept me viable as being a player it kept me kept me thinking and the game changed so much then too as that was really when tournaments especially started changing a lot and like people got more theory based and started getting more theory based i should say that the ideas started the seeds of, of, of that were starting to be there you mentioned that you weren't playing after black friday how did you take that news? What were you thinking? Did you have a plan? At what point did you get back in the game if you took a break from the game? I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, I mean, I'll never forget that day of Black Friday was a whirlwind of a day. Um, that was insane. I've never had as many, everyone on AIM that day, I've never had as many AIM tabs and people messaging me because there was a big poker legislation bill in the end of 2010 and beginning of 2011, that was in the federal government. That was the, uh, the Harry Reid, is that his name? The guy from the Senator from Nevada bill that was going on. And, and a lot of people were, were, I was always very like into that. I was reading a lot about it. And like, I was, you know, paid my PPA dues, poker players, whatever that was, poker stars thing dues. And so people were asking a lot of questions because they were like, oh, Gags knows about this type of stuff. So I was getting messages from a ton of people like, what's going on? Like, What's the government doing? Are they shutting these eyes down? Are we getting our money? Like, what's happening? And I was like, guys, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. I had no plan because no one knew, like, what the process was going to be. Like, a lot of people were thinking, oh, poker sets will be back. They'll legislate poker, and it'll be back within six months or, or whatever the number is. And, like, as somebody who understood somewhat the way the government was worked at the time, I was like, there's no way that's going to happen. Like, we're looking at, we may not get poker back. Like, this may be it. So I just didn't know what to do. I, 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 this was April. I mean, I was playing. So the video game of my, the, the past year had been Starcraft for me. I played a ton of Starcraft too. Um, I had a few friends that played and after Black Friday, I mean, 
I woke up 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I played StarCraft till three o'clock in the morning. And we just played all day long. And I got pretty good at StarCraft. I was quite good. But uh, that was taking up all my time. And I was like, I got to do something. I went to, there's a casino sands in Pennsylvania that was probably only about a half hour from me. And so I used to go there. I was trying to go twice or three times a week, but I hated going. The idea Why? of sitting there and playing, the idea of just sitting there and playing live cash was just dreadful. I just constantly was looking for reasons to leave. Like if I won a pot early and was up a few hundred bucks, I'd be like, all right, I'm fucking out of here. Like I gotta go home. Like it just, live poker was like really just, I just didn't enjoy it. Like the idea of sitting there at the table was just boring. I've never enjoyed like making small talk with people at the table and stuff. So I just, it was like just torture for me. Um, I always hated eating the casino food too. Like it was always, I felt like it was hard to like play poker and get a good meal. And like, it just always was like tired and hungry. And like, I just, I just didn't like it. Um, the idea of commuting, having to be there at seven o'clock, you know, the, you go there and there's no game. You got to, I'm sitting around waiting for a two five to start. Cause there's only one, two. I'm like, I'm like, ah. it just was so bad. It was just brutal to me. Um, so I was like, I got to find a job. I got to do something. Like, I have to make money. You know, I, I, I was, I went like a good, probably three or four months making hardly anything. And so I thought I might start getting into like the stock market because my, my dad was a broker for, you know, 25 years and he's, he got my brother a job in the market. And so I was like, maybe I could do this. Like, I have a, you know, the mind for this. And I started reading some books and learning about some stuff. And, but I was like, uh, I don't know, just wasn't, it wasn't doing it. And, so I started playing on like, I think what was around back then was cake or, and uh, what was it on carbon poker? Like these like shady offshore sites that were allowing US players to play on. I started playing on what was left of those a little bit, but again, it just felt different. It wasn't the same as what we were used to. Um, and it was harder to make money. It was harder to get paid out and stuff. And it just didn't feel viable long-term. I, I just, the tournaments were so small and, and stuff. It just didn't feel like I was going to make any money. And yeah, I really just didn't know what I was going to do. I just, I really stumbled for eight ish months, uh, seven months until my friends had started moving. Like a lot of people started going to Mal Malta was a big place. A lot of like, I had like four or five friends go there. Um, and other parts of Europe, just, just moving. And I knew that wasn't really something that I was going to like do because like I had a, a girlfriend that I was with for a long time at that point and like my family and like, I just didn't know how I could do that. I just didn't feel like what I wanted to do. Um, but I went to, I started playing live a little more, just try to kind of travel a bit, which was expensive, but it was something, at least it was poker. And I went to EPT Prague in, I think it was December. It must've been the beginning of December. And I went and I saw a bunch of my friends were playing online. They had opened their accounts and they were playing. And I was like, damn, like I, I missed this. Like I gotta, I gotta do this. Like I gotta get, out somewhere and do it. And so this was December. I very, very quickly convinced my girlfriend to leave her job and go to Canada. She was, I think she was going to leave anyway or talking about leaving. But yeah, long story short, we we were in Canada by February 1st. We, we quickly got up there. Um, we actually got married too before we went up there, which was very quick and rushed. And we didn't tell anybody. It was just more just a formality. But um, I got a great time, had a great time out of that after this, I think she got pregnant a couple years later. We, and I got to tell everyone that 
oh yeah, we're having a kid. And oh yeah, by the way, we've been married for two or three years and didn't tell anybody. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so we, I was like, I got to get back on and I, I moved up to Toronto and I lived there. For wait, wait, wait. You, you didn't tell your mom? Is that what you said? That you were married? So, no, we didn't tell anyone. So the only people that we told, I said, I told my wife, I was like, I have to tell my mom. Like, I can't keep something this big for my mom. But like, I was like, you can tell your mom if you want, but we can't, but like, we won't tell anyone else. Like, that's fine. I why? Why, why, why was it like a state know. secret? <laughs> I don't know. It was just like we, because it was like we weren't, I don't know, man, we were like 20, <laughs> how old were we? 26. And like we were like, there's no real reason to get married. We weren't planning on having kids yet. No one wanted kids. No one, you know, we weren't into the institution of marriage and all this stuff. And it was, it was really just like, I was like, we're going to go to Canada. They might not let us in because we're saying we're going to stay for five or six months. Like it's hard with health insurance. Like it's just easier if we get married. They were married, you know, like that kind of stuff. It, it, it was just a better story, health insurance. And like, if one of us gets injured or has to go to the hospital, like, you know, like anything, we're living out of the country. I, I don't know. Like, I, I want to be able to say that's my wife in there, not, oh, it's my girlfriend that I have no, like, legal quite, reasons. Quite the proposal there. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I can see and why so, I can see why your mom, your wife didn't tell her mom. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> we got yeah, married. She wound uh... yeah. <laughs> up telling her. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, it was just like, it was just, it was really just that. It was like a formality. And our other friend was like, yeah, you should totally do it. Like, why not? You guys have been together forever and, and you're probably going to get married at some point. So just do it now. Who cares? You can always have a party or whatever later if you want. But, but yeah, it, we, we just, we just, we just did it. And we went up there and it was great. Toronto was awesome. I love Toronto. Um, so I was still back to the time. I was in a bunch of makeup, like as from playing live tournaments for like almost a year now on World Series and stuff. I had accrued a bunch of makeup because I, I didn't do well live. And I later kind of realized I just was awful. I played so bad live for a number of years and didn't really, I was just so impatient. And it's one of those things that you're, I was younger and like less experienced and didn't kind of realize what I was doing. And I was just like things that I was doing online that was very second nature. I was like way just overthinking live and just trying to be like impatient and stuff. And I think that's common to so many people that I see that play well online just, just make really bad decisions live. But um, well, it's a different game. Like you said before it, with cash and tournaments, like live and online live is a different game and mm-hmm. you take, take some time getting used to. I, I just wasn't patient. I just would get dealt some mediocre hand and be like, Oh my God, this hand is great. I get like a queen 10 off and be like ready to go. Whereas online, I'd be like <laughs> looking at like queen Jack and folding easily. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, this game's not good. This guy raised and live. I'm like, ah, yeah. Guy, guy pushes this guy around because you know he's a old guy who hasn't played a pot in four hours like yeah it, it, sure in an yeah. environment where nobody folds let's just play all the bad yeah, let's, hands let's make this guy fold. yeah it right took me, yeah it took me about three years of trying to make guys fold to realize they're not gonna fold. but so i was in a bunch of makeup so like going to toronto was like kind of risky because like i didn't know a ton of money i had some money but not like a ridiculous amount where i could just continue to not make any money and like the odds of me making enough money where I was going to actually profit for myself was kind of low for only being there for five or six months. But it was like the point where I was like, I have to decide, like, can I keep pursuing poker or do I need to get a job? You know, so this was when I was really doing a ton of coaching and, and I was doing, I was trying to play five days a week, coach like eight hours on one day and then take one day off. That was what I was doing up there. And it was, it was insane. It, it was absolutely nuts. But, um, I somehow made some money up there. I don't think I actually cleared my makeup, but I came very close. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but 
I want to say I had like 60 or 70K makeup and I, and I probably cleared like 65 or six, you know, 68K. So I was like really feeling good and, and was, was very close. And I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. I'm still, I still got it. I'm still learning more about poker, but I got it, you know, and, and I can still do this. And uh, this was 2012. And then by the end of 2012, I hated really well live. I kind of started figuring that out more and I won, and I didn't win. I final table, so I went to Prague again, and I final table a WPT where I got an aces versus queens for a lot with five left and, and lost. And, like, that was, like, it was more sad than anything because I felt like that was, like, my shot. Like, I was, like, you know, I, I think I cashed for, like, 70K or whatever. I was still happy because that, like, got me out of makeup and stuff. But I was, like, like, that was my shot to, like, hit it big. And I never had a big score. I never had a six-figure score at that point. And I'll never forget... I went to the, so this was in Euros, this tournament, and I've never had a six-figure score, and all my friends are winning something millions and F-tops and all this stuff and just crushing, crushing poker. Uh, my, my one friend, my one very good friend at that point probably had like four or five six-figure scores, and this was, everyone was like doing so well, and I felt like, like, why not me? Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, am I playing bad? Am I getting unlucky? Because I was crushing everything else. I was crushing $10, $50, $100, all these other tournaments I was crushing. Um, and I just couldn't seem to break through in these bigger events. And finally I was there, finally I got an aces and I lost. And I was like, I'm, I'm, this is so frustrating. And I went to the payout desk and they paid me out. I don't remember the, it was like 68 or 69,000 euros. And I, I went on my phone and I plugged it into XE.com, the currency converter. And I'm not joking. I wish I made this up. It was $99,998. And I was like, <laughs> You got it. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm like, never, is this a joke? Like, I feel like poker's laughing at me. Like, you're never going to do this. And I was just really discouraged. Like, I, I, again, it was like this bittersweet because I was happy. I was out of makeup. And I didn't know if I wanted to be backed anymore because I, poker had changed after Black Friday. Like, I was playing a lot more like just like cash and like smaller stuff that like I can handle some of these swings. Like, I think I should just try to make more money. And so I took a couple of days to think about it and, you know, Mark was there in Prague with me, and I was like, it's like, let me play on my own for like a couple of days and see how I do. And I'm like, let me think about it before I give you a final decision. And I played in, there was a 2K side event that I sold some action for, and I played in that, and I chopped it heads up for like 100 and, I don't know, it was 170K or something. Um, which, by the way, if you look on my hands and mob, I think it says it's a six, that WPT score is a six figure now because it, it, it updates the currency, but uh, <laughs> at the time it wasn't. But, uh, but yeah, so that gave me like a really big, held me and, and that gave me a score and gave me a big bankroll. And, uh, well, real quick. So Mark was your backer through this whole period. The whole time. Yep. Whole, whole yeah. thing. From 2009 how, through how was he when you, you played a couple of tournaments on your own and then you just snap bink 170? Well, he, was had a, he... he had a piece, he had a piece of that. Okay. So he still had a piece. Him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sold some to him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I mean, he was, I was looking for so long and I made him a bunch of money along the way. I, but I was a bunch of money to me. And I think I was one of, I think I was always a decent horse. Like, I think he would attest to that. Like, I didn't swing really hard. I didn't like want to play in really big games. Like, I always skipped all the big events because I was like, ah, it's too much. I'm not going to, you know, I don't need to swing. I don't need to play another 10K6 match at the World Series. I'm not playing that, you know, that kind of thing. That, that type of stuff. I, I just, I asked the question because I, I've had Mark on. I don't know Mark very well. We've only had really the the one interaction. Um, it feels like he would be the type of person that would just be genuinely excited for you. Because he could go either way, right? Like, 
I certainly right. know know people that's like, oh yeah, you've been my horse forever, and then you play one tournament and you bink it for like one fifty, and there's like this bitterness of like, mm, I should have gotten a piece of that or yeah. whatever. Or yeah. there's the other side where it's like just genuine happiness for the success of a friend, knowing that like this this literally can change their life. And yeah, I just I was curious, so I asked the question. But I, I think. I think he was, I don't think he minded. I mean, he was such a successful, not only poker player, but also backer that I, I don't think, I don't think he was ever that kind of bitter about it, especially people that like left on good terms. You know, like there are people that, especially after Black Friday, I'm, I'm sure he's, he tell you the stories about people, you know, cheating him and stealing and stuff, but he had so many horses and he had so many successful horses that made him a bunch of money and stuff that, he did so well. I can't imagine there would be too much of that there, especially for something that was only, you know, I'm going to say only 170. That wasn't like a $1 million or something that, you know. Well, I mean, he, he's diptrong. He's legend, like le- legendarily yeah, like successful, right? Make or break, you know, his life. So, um, so yeah, but, uh, so yeah, that was, I mean, that was, that was it. And so, so uh, poker was transitioning. There were murmurs of, you know, the U- U.S. states regulating poker. I think Nevada had started. Can we, can or we go back? Let's just go back for just just a prog. Sure, sure. And you hit it, hitting that tournament. Like, what did you do? What like, how did you feel when you finally, you know, break through your glass ceiling? Like, your wife was there. Nobody knew that she was your wife. She wasn't there. Oh, no, she, wasn't she wasn't there. She wasn't there. She was working in ha- in the U.S. in Jersey still. Um, we were living at my mom's house and. uh, she pregnant then i don't think she was pregnant yet this was december so no she wasn't pregnant but we were trying to move out or trying to buy a house we're trying to look for houses and and move out but it was tough we didn't have a ton of money and i I didn't have especially because in 2011 i made hardly any money that year my income it was very hard to get a mortgage uh this was i mean the housing crisis just happened like it was it was very hard to get any money at, at that point from someone who had no basically no income Especially poker is so risky. So it was kind of hard. And uh, so this score was nice because it gave us some money. You know, um, I probably only had maybe 60% of myself in that tournament, but it was, it was still enough that it was a nice cap to my year that, you know, put me over and it was like, all right, we can do this. We, can, we have enough money now. We can put a down payment on a house that's bigger and possibly get something. Um, yeah, she was super happy. It was like, I mean, it was late in Prague, so it's probably like the morning here. Or no. Yeah, it was like late in Prague, so it was like late night here the following night before, I guess is how that works. So, no, it's the morning here. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting mixed up. So, yeah, so she had just woken up. She must have had just woken up, yeah. Um, we're, we're good and, at math, I promise, to the yeah, listener. Super. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, she was super happy. Um, it, it was kind of a whirlwind. It was, a tour, it was like a side event. It wasn't this big event. There wasn't really, like, coverage of it or any, anything like that, but it was still – you know, like almost 200k US the first, and uh, yeah, it was it was just it was just really really cool. It was really really good. I felt like I finally, you know, did it. I kind of accomplished something, and like was going to go on and, and, and continue to play poker and figure this out. I was figuring this live thing out. Is what I felt like I was doing. And so even if online didn't come back to the capacity that it was, I still had that drive to to do something and travel and play these tournaments and. Maybe there were a lot of tournaments at you know Atlantic City, Borgata, and different places in the East Coast that I was like, I can, I can, I can do this. I can figure this out, and I'll get better at it. And that was what I did. I started traveling just to like all these local. I remember I went to like Delaware for this one K, and I went out 
somewhere in New York for this 1500. And I, was, I was just going to all these like semi-local driving down different places uh, and trying to find these tournaments to play in them. And I, and I started having a couple of runs on that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, she got pregnant and we knew we were going to have a kid and we were like, we got to get a house. We got to get out of here. And uh, as soon as, she, as soon as she got pregnant, the next month I, I had another hit Borgata where I chopped the ring open for like, I forget what the amount was. 200k 250 or something like that again where i had uh i sold action for i was selling action to play in these bigger events um and it was like that was like just a perfect because it just was we we're like we're gonna close on a house in like two months and it was just like extra money that we could do stuff to the house and like it was just so well timed like you know daughter was gonna be born in a couple months and it just worked out so incredibly well that was such an insane year from just i mean we moved we had a kid like i was flying all over the country back and forth trying to close on his house and the baby was being born and at this point now i knew poker was coming to new jersey that fall they had signed the bill and the legislation and stuff and so i knew that like that was going to bring an option i didn't know what that was going to look like with you know a regulated market only people in new jersey no one really knew how big stuff was going to be how much money there was going to be to made to make um but it was something and that was what was really keeping me in the states is uh, you know why leave now? I have some sort of poker, and yeah, played in a lot of in those markets in, in, ever since. Yeah, it's you know? uh, if the ninety nine 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 eight was a bad omen, binking very shortly thereafter for like one fifty, and then hitting for two hundred when you needed it. Those are pretty good omens that for sure. poker. For sure. Okay, this poker thing it, it's going to be a part of my life for for, sure. for the long haul probably. For sure. Yeah, I just, it was, again, it was just like that kind of, I still didn't have, so I chopped the frog tournament. We played for like an extra, you know, 10 or 15,000 and I lost. And then the Borgata one, we were, I had a lot of chips and I got it in heads up. I think it was aces or tens and I lost. to get us like more even, which we then chopped. We played for a little bit extra, which I then again lost. So I still don't have a live win, which is still like kind of bothering me. It's not to the point where it's like, terrible yet but it's like okay my biggest scores are all second places or third places like maybe i suck at heads up or what shorthanded or whatever yeah you, so you, you, you can't thing. get the aces to hold up against it <laughs> exactly um but I, I i mean new jersey poker started in 2013 and, and i started playing there and like the tournaments were pretty small i mean very small compared to what i was used to but um i was making some money it was good i was playing on like acr around yet i don't know if acr was around yet but i was playing on other regulated sites and playing live still and just doing this mixed bag and, and I, I just really just did that for the next you know till through till now as more sites came on in new jersey and the market kind of evolved um i have a few other things that i eventually started going on. i started working with borgata poker um you know in i think it was like 2014 or 15 so i represent them now the borgata poker party poker us brand um which has been awesome that's been really good working with them and just they put up putting out some really good tournaments and some really big events for again only new jersey it's just awesome to see kind of this stuff and, and i look forward to like that as states expand they just launched in michigan now so you know hopefully these markets will eventually start coming together a bit you'll start seeing i mean it's not gonna be like before black friday but you'll see a semblance of kind of that kind of creeping back out again um you, you skipped over something right you, you did get your live Double. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, so let's see. 2013, 
2014 and 2015, I, I don't really, my daughter was just born in 2013. So those years were, those years are really a, a blur for me. I don't think I had a ton of success live in, in those years. I, I do have my hand in my book. What did I do in those years? Because I don't even, I don't even remember. I, I feel like I didn't really do anything. I kind of whipped a bunch of stuff. I played a bunch of stuff, but I don't, I don't, I don't think I had anything, you know, yeah, no, nothing since that, from that second, really. Um, oh, I got second in another tournament, a Borgata, like, daily, um, like, kind of thing for, like, $15,000. It was another second that I couldn't finish, and then I got another third at a parks side event, and, again, it was a few of these. I got fourth in a Venetian. Again, it was just a few of these where I kept coming close, I kept coming close, I kept coming close. In April of 2016, in the same tournament that I chopped a few years earlier, I got third this time at a pretty tough final table, um, and again, it was just this, man, I, I can't get this like monkey off my back of getting a live win. I, you know, my biggest online scores, my two biggest online scores were the same thing. I got second in both of them. I had a, one that I chopped and lost and one that I just got second in. And I was like, it was just starting to bother me. I was like, my friends are making fun of me. I, that was the, that was a joke. Was that, you know, chop, 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 you know, can't <laughs> win. But yeah, I, in, in 2016, I final tabled the, uh, a WCP 2500 that I, had no chips the entire tournament. It was a tournament that I felt like I was finally getting to the point where I was comfortable. One of the biggest things that held me back in live poker was starting a tournament and losing chips. And I felt like, all right, well, I'm under starting stack, so what's the next tournament? Like, what can I go register? To <laughs> and, it's over. Yeah, it was like, what can I do next? Because there's no point in playing my 90% of my starting stack when my buddy has four starting stacks already. Like, I'm losing the race, you know? <laughs> um, but... I got over that and I just said, you know what, you're play the game and play online, play tight, play slow, you know, just wait, be patient, be aggressive in the spots that you know to be aggressive in, be tight in the other ones. And I'll never forget, it was, it was like a 500 big blind and I had 4,500 chips and I was just grinding this thing out. Just, I would get up to 12 big blinds and double up and then the blinds would go up and I would be back to 12 big blinds. And I, for no joke, two days I did this. Um, I stumbled into the money with like 10 big blinds and I wind up, there's two tables left. I got some chips and, and finally, finally got a hold of stuff. And uh, my good buddy, Neil Farrell, Geraldo, um, was in the tournament still. And we played a couple of big pots with like two tables left. I was living with him. That's, we lived together like every summer for the last, God, a uh, number of years, six or more years. I don't even remember now. And he's part of the group of guys that I always live with. And we wound up all tabling together. He wound up busting in, I think, sixth or seventh. And yeah, I got I got shorthanded and and just won. I don't I don't know. I don't even remember. I played this guy that was was uh, an, an amateur that he played really tight for a while, and then we got to like six ish left. And I don't I don't want to say he went wild, but he he really was like I know these guys are better than me. I'm just gonna try to make pots big and win this tournament. He played great for the situation, like he really did. And we got heads up, and he he tried to bluff me in this one pot, and I, I kind of picked it off, and, and I, I was like, I have a shot. And I had a big, like, eight-to-one chip lead, and he started coming back. He started doubling up. And, like, we got closer to even, and I was like, it really got <laughs> into my head for a, yeah. a minute. And I was like, you're going to like you're gonna lose. Like, you're definitely going to lose against this guy. He's playing too aggressive. He's playing too well. And I had to, like, stop and be like, hold on a second. Like, just just calm down. You're playing 35 big line poker against a guy that doesn't know how to do this. Like, you could do this. And, and I grinded him back down a little bit, and I, and I finally got it in with, I think I had ace nine, and I held. And 
that was it. I just won. I, I don't know. It was very, it was very surreal that I just got a win just like that. And it was such a big score too, that it was like, just really good. I mean, that was like, like my best year. I, I had so much success that year. In How did it feel? You, you, you got a bracelet, which is like, you chose to win a tournament where there's some prestige attached and for some, sure. some nice sure. har- hardware, which certainly helps. Um, was it everything you thought it would be? Yeah, I just, again, I just felt like, I felt like that, like, confirmation of, like, okay, you, you did it. Like, you can win these things, you know? Like, like I felt like I needed that, like, because it's just, poker is this, especially tournaments, they're this, it, it's, there's no, like, no one's ever due in tournaments. Tournaments don't owe you anything. Like, it, there's, there's, there's absolutely, you don't get anything out of them. Like, you're constantly losing. You get second in these events, third in these events. You feel like you lost. You made a ton of money, but you feel like you lost because you didn't win. 500, 1,000 people register these tournaments. One guy is happy at the end of that tournament. And he's like, probably just it, wishing it was a bigger buy-in. That's <laughs> like... a thankless, if there's ever a thankless <laughs> career, it's, it's being a tournament professional. I mean, it, it's, it's so rough on your, on your ego, especially when you're playing against people. You get to a final table with guys that you know you're better than, and they're just beating you. And you're like, what could I have done? And most of the time, you just do nothing. You don't play anything. You just lose. Like, sometimes you just lose. You get a guy who's going all in every hand, and you get bad cards. You're just going to lose. Like, it just comes down to that. Or you get a good hand, and it loses. Like, what, what, exactly. what can you do? Exactly. You get into a flip. You get into a 60-40, maybe 20. You're going to lose a chunk of those times. But it, it, it just, for me, it really felt like I got over that hurdle, and I was like, it, it gave me even more. I mean, I don't know if I needed this form, so I was playing poker and doing well for so many years already. But it gave me that confirmation of like, all right, maybe you're not that bad at this. And I was like, all right, like maybe you can win things and like keep playing your game. You're in the zone, like keep doing it and keep improving, you know? And since poker started getting regulated in 2013 in New Jersey, I started playing more cash games. So there just wasn't tournaments available for me to play. And I started to enjoy them more. And I started like just, just understanding that there was more to poker than what I knew and, 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 and understanding and, I mean, solvers had, you know, started becoming a thing. I think I got PO in, I don't even know when it came out. It came out in 2014 or 2015, I think. But I got it pretty quickly after that and started working with solvers and just trying to improve my game the best I knew how um, and, and, and more resources like that that, you know, started getting better. And I started spending some time. I spent, uh, the 2016 ended, I won another, man, two or three tournaments that year, like smaller things, but... I mean, I won a parks tournament for like 100k, and I got second in another poker stars thing for like 40 or 50,000, and just just a bunch of different things. I just had a really good year, just 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 crushing live, and uh, I did pretty well online too. And then 2017, I devoted a lot of time to like learning how to play heads up, and 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 just just broadening how I think about the whole game tree of poker, um, and it really helped me a lot. Just just spending, I mean, that year, I think. I think something like 65 or 70 percent of my hands in 2017 were heads up, um, which was nothing that I ever thought I would do because I was always felt like I was traditionally not good at heads up, and I wasn't because I just didn't know what I was doing. I just was an MTT pro that never played, but it helped me get better and helped me improve. And between that and I was playing live a ton, I was still playing New Jersey sites, I was still playing ACR and the other sites. It, it it was really just all kind of starting to come together and help build me into a better poker player, you know, it's got, which has gotten me to here today. So, John, you've used neutralized flop leads in the past 24 hours, correct? Yeah, so I 
got the basically the slide with all the info on it on Friday evening, and yesterday I played a session of uh, 1KNL on Ignition, and played one particular pot that I remember where a fish just donks, flop, turn, river into me, and I ended up winning with a hand that I would have folded before looking at the slide, but I ended up winning like a $400 pot instead, and the course is $99, so <laughs> definitely paid for itself very, very quickly, and, and I think that'll be the case for even people that aren't playing as big as 510 No Limit. Like, I think this is a course that will very, very quickly pay for itself given how how much more donking there is at lower stakes. And I think one of the most common questions I see asked in the Greatness Village Slack group is, what do donks mean? How do I deal with donk bets? I, I think that's gotta be like in the top three most frequently asked questions. You, you ought to feel very excited when somebody donks into you because some good things are about to happen. You said like, you probably don't need anyone to teach the course or like you can just look at the slide and, and learn all the info yourself. I feel like you, Brad, will have to be there because I am I am almost sure, sure that anybody who looks at the slide won't believe it looking at what they're supposed to do and will have to confirm with you that like you didn't make a massive typo somewhere and that this is actually what they're supposed to do because it's pretty shocking the optimal way to deal with fish donking into you on the flop is. If you'd like to check out Neutralize Flop Leads so that you're never again confused when a fish leads into you in a single race pot, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Nuffle. That's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash N-U-F-F-L-E. And now, back to the show. Tell me about the transition to cash games. Like, how, what does it mean when you say you play mostly cash games? Is it like primarily cash games? Do you still play tournaments? What no, I, I, definitely, I definitely still play tournaments. I mean... Most of my live travel is for tournaments. Um, I still don't particularly love playing live. I, I've enjo- I enjoy it a lot more than I used to. Live cash games are still a drag to me. The idea of the, the culture, the idea of appealing to the recreational player, and especially with these private games and all, I, I just I can't do any of that. I'm, I'm not going to take shots with this guy and make him feel good and, and do this stuff to get the game going. And that's not me. I, you know, you, I want to play this game because I want to play this game and battle these people. Like that's why I play this game, not to, you know, just, just suck up to this guy. If this guy wants to play in a game that's playing, that's great. You know, um, and I've learned the whole world of, you know, cash games and bum hunting and, and all this stuff. And it's such a tough, it's such a tough topic because like, like I'm not a battler anymore. Like I, I don't like I did the heads up thing. I played a bunch of good regs in, in, in 2017 and, and tried my best and, and did all that. And I feel like there's people that are definitely better at heads up than I am now. And they've worked more with solvers and, and they're just, just better. And I don't have anything to prove to anybody anymore. So like I'm not gonna battle people heads up. And if people are willing to play in shorter handed games to get games going and this and stuff, that's great. But so often what happens is, especially playing online, like you, you'll get guys that play for a few hands and then the, the game breaks and it's just, it's just, it's just pointless. If there's no, the game's not going to run, the game's not going to run, but it, it's a weird, it's a weird thing because I, I want to say that like, I wish you would play more, but at the same time, like I'm not a thousand percent facilitating that because I don't play anybody everywhere, you know? So it's, it's a hard thing to, 
like balance out. Um, especially when like I don't want to people people don't want to play heads up and, and stuff. Like it's so hard online getting these games running. Yeah, I mean, basically, what I find when I'm starting games is that I just sit there and like because I play on ignition. So somebody will sit down, we'll play four hands. They'll beat me out of fifteen dollars at five ten, and then they'll disappear, and then they'll come back, and they'll disappear, and like inevitably, just somebody who's a weaker player will start playing. Right? Like most most people just are averse to playing heads up, and so sure. that just so sure. eventually it just leaves me heads up with a recreational player trying to get a game going, and then the game inevitably fills up around us. Well, once you get the rec player, the game goes, but it's. It's the idea of, you know, even a lot of times with regs, you'll get three regs that you're like, all right, let's start a game and play four-handed. So many times that that's happened, that game will run for 15 minutes before someone says, ah, the game's not starting. And then it just dies. And I've seen this happen live so often too, that it's just, again, it's just so frustrating, like that I don't do it anymore. Like these regs would be like, let's start a game. And I'm like, nah, I'm just not going to play. I'm just going to put my room and play video games because like, <laughs> I'm not doing this for 15 minutes to have somebody complain and then we're three handed and then the game breaks again. Now I just wasted an hour. Like I'm just going to go hang out and just relax and I'll come back in two hours. If the game running, I'll pop in. Great. If not, I won't play. Um, I, I, I do take a little, I think it's, I've always, my perspective has always been a little different as it relates to like cash and um, the, taking shots with the whale and all of that. I, like for me, I've never taken shots with the whale. Uh, I don't think I've ever taken shots at a poker table ever. Yeah. I, don't, but, I, mean, I just generally don't drink period, but yeah, I, I don't either. But like there, there are multiple ways to go about it. And to me, like the patronizing way of like, you know how people patronize the whales or whatever like oh yeah you played mm-hmm. the, you, you played that great like what could you what could you do you know you had middle yeah. pair and we put in ten thousand big blinds and yep. they just had the top set i mean they never just had the what a cooler yeah. that's cooler right like that guy blocked so much last night yeah yeah like that that to me is just scummy like i i don't like that um but it's just like for me it's just been these are interesting people and i like talking to them and mm-hmm. understanding who they are and how they're able to play big stakes um recreationally and have the disposable income and just like to me that that's sort of like my version of it's not like it's something that i would do anyway or that i do with the regs too of like who is this person what is your name where do you come from uh that maybe that's why i have a podcast where i talk to people and get to know them Uh, but um that to me is just i don't know it's always felt like more authentic more genuine and that's just how you go about building relationships sure. and gaining sure. rapport with with people uh, the yeah i think the i'm not on board with just doing things to do things or doing things that, in a way that it is not authentic or feels that's how it works dummy. though in so many games though like if you're especially like these private games now it's like all right well if you're going to come like you can't play tight like you have to splash around with this guy and oh you play tight well you can't come back again like, this guy doesn't like people who play tight so you can't come back then like, like yeah you're gonna tell me how to play and how to you know like it's just i just think it's too it's too much and that's why i just don't do it like i'm just not into that you know well it's kind of um, how the poker world is going as a whole right like know, it's, it's very it's, it's very weird though. i hate it i i hate it i haven't had gotten uh i guess the 
this pleasure of experiencing these private games and like what you have to do to get in like that whole political thing i haven't Mm -hmm. dealt with because i haven't played live poker since probably 2014 um Mm -hmm. where i basically i lived at commerce for a number of years then i played in the bay area and that wasn't like a thing then um yeah Yeah. but it it seems like even the platforms you know it's very everything is very anti-pro which is is very different than the way that we came up right it's a different environment of full tilt poker well, the, mar- the market's different now yeah the marketing down. and i hate yeah. it oh i hate it so much like i, I hate well, but it, oh, I it has hate. to it, it has to be that way eventually this is what happens because the guys that are going to play recreationally and just lose a ton of money you know think back to 2007 you know me or my buddy who's throwing 50 dollars on left and right when those guys stop existing, the economy ceases to have that funneling. Money funnels in the poker economy from the bottom up. And the guys at the top are mostly getting their money from money that is funneled up. This is why 510 runs consistently and that type of stuff. So many of those guys, stuff moves up. And yeah, at the higher limits, guys losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sure, there's whales depositing a lot of money. But at those middling limits, it's a lot of that, that funneling motion. And... You just don't get that in a small market like New Jersey, where we are, like you don't have that. There's not this endless supply of people depositing 20 bucks. There's a bunch of people that do that, but how, before that, that money gets raked and people win and people withdraw and that money doesn't get that high before it's just gone. So, so it's a problem in that. And like, yeah, there's a little deposit at higher limits, but if you were super pro centric and, and, you know, that money would just get eaten up even faster. And, And I get it. But in the markets, like in the U.S. markets, where there is all that depositing up at the higher end, you kind of like, kind of can be a little more pro-centric. I don't know. I'm kind of saying two things here. I, I um, see. I, I have reasons. I just don't buy it. I don't buy the premise because casino is extremely predatory and takes tons of money from the market. Sure. And casino still exists. Casino will exist in 20 years. There will be people who go in there, drop lots of money in slot machines, and somehow they well, keep the coming back. Money. That's that's why. Right, the, the casino's the problem, making money. I would imagine the difference there is that people lose way faster when they play poker. Like if I took a thousand dollars in a slot machine? Absolutely. If I took a thousand dollars and I spin it in a slot machine, what's my return on that money? It's like, you know, eighty-two percent or whatever it is. Like, so over the course of a, a night of spinning a dollar spinner, I, I honestly can't even tell you how much it's worth. Probably, like this we guy's gonna lose. All, yeah, this guy's gonna win or lose, and he's gonna wind up with less money. But and yeah, maybe he loses all his thousand dollars or hundred dollars whatever he put in. But once in a while, he hits and gets takes a hundred out or takes two hundred out or whatever it is. These guys that are playing poker that are, are gonna put money on that are really fish, like they have no shot. We're too good now. Like, again, you look at, like, the international market, you look at party, you look at a guy who doesn't really know how to play and he puts money on, you know, GG Poker or, or Poker Stars, like, that money is gone. Guys that have seating scripts that are instantly, as soon as the guy sits, he's sitting at the table and, you know, the, the, everyone's just, it's gone, that money. He doesn't have a chance to beat these people long-term at all. And even the short-term, it's harder and harder and harder. Well, um, it's not, it's not the a- market, right? It's not the market's fault that there's a seating script. That's the platform's fault. Like, if that's part yeah. of the... Of course, but it's, it's, it's very hard to get rid of that stuff in a lot of situations. 
it, just because really it's hard. very just because something's hard doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it though. So one of the things that I always thought that this was a, a, a kind of a saying from from poker stars from years and years ago that, that they used to talk about was that if they couldn't properly police something, they then they wouldn't make it against the rules. Because if you say no seeding scripts, but they can't, you can't police it, who are you hurting? You're only hurting the people willing to follow the rules. And there's still going to be those nefarious guys that are going to use seeding scripts and get away with it because they can't police it. Well, change the process of sitting at a table, right? Like ignition. That's that's sometimes harder to do than it seems, Um, especially from the the standpoint of these sites that need large monetary investments into software development. Um, If I'm a poker site and it's not hurting my bottom line enough, I'm not going to invest all this money to stop it. Why would I care that much? Because and, and you I care. Agree, there are, <laughs> because you do, right? But at the end of the day, these sites are most of these sites are owned by casinos, and they don't care. You know, it, it's only a problem when it becomes a problem that people are going to stop playing, and if people aren't going to stop playing because of it. Why waste the money? You know, why why would they waste the money doing that? And and yeah. we're at the point now where I think sites do care because it does hurt the bottom dollar. You know, this is why so many of these sites have developed software that you don't pick your own seed, or you know, the Zoom pools and all this stuff that. You have to do that because, again, this is where we're getting back to. The economy is developed. You know, the economy is a economy that poker stars internationally has been developed over the last, you know, 10 plus years, really since Black Friday is when that, the economy changed. And so Americans had so much money they were dumping into the rest of the economy that I think that they made up such a high percentage. If you look at statistics on a full sale poker and, and poker stars, what was, I think the number was, kind of making this up, but I want to say full sale poker. Americans were like 65 to 70% of the traffic on full poker, something like that. Like, that's insane. When you pulled that out, there's, there's no way that site can continue. It's too much money being deposited that they can continue. I think it was only like 30% of poker stars or whatever it was. Check me on those stats, you know, where was <laughs> listening. But it, it was, I'm ballparking. When you have that, the, the, the money doesn't get deposited at those lower levels like I was talking about. It's harder to funnel money up and it's harder for people to kind of earn throughout the full economy of poker um and that's why they have to start limiting stuff and that's the reason why you saw poker stars start cracking down on this stuff because their economy wasn't churning as much as it used to the sites want the economy to churn as much as possible sites make a lot of rate and people can make little bits of money all along the way that's the goal right everyone's very close to break even you don't want this disparity as a site of some guys winning a ton and some guys losing a ton because that means they go broke faster and they don't rake as much yeah Get in a new, get a new, get in a new business if that's your problem. Because poker, that ain't how it works. Why? Why? Why is that not how how it works? Though you're talking about because there's always good players to take a lot out of the economy, like everywhere. From a from a site's perspective, though, that's when they start limiting it. So when seeding scripts were making people start taking a lot of money quickly, they started limiting seeding scripts because they want more of that middle ground and. The problem now, which is it's kind of always an ebb and flow that I've seen over the last, really, again, 10 years since Black Friday, is that you get a situation where the economy is working, where a lot of people make a little bit of money along different ways, and then something happens. The market gets fractured because of regulation, Black Friday happens, or the players in the middle, the game gets too tough, and they stop playing. When that happens, you get the bigger disparity. If the guys that are all mediocre making a couple big blinds per hundred or whatever it is stop playing because they're not making anything anymore, 
You now are left with the really good players and the really bad players. And then eventually what happens is it's the same thing, keeps churning and those it starts balancing out again. And then those people in the middle stop playing again or something else happens. And it's just, it's just a cycle. That's why I think the whole thing with software and all this stuff is just like, it's almost a semantics game because it's like a whack-a-mole thing. Like you keep, you want to stop this, some new software comes up. You want to stop that and another thing comes up. And it's always a thing in poker. And there's better times for economies and worse times for economies. And I think the quicker sites kind of figure that out, just kind of like let stuff go or let stuff be, just you'll get better. You have more to a balance eventually and, and, and it'll work itself out. I mean, you're not always going to have people just crushing fish because the fish will either stop playing or like get better. I mean, that's the way poker works, right? Well, then they're not fish anymore. They they evolve from their yeah. fishiness to yeah, and then everybody starts or whatever it is. The next then level everybody is. starts making less, and the economy starts churning better again. You know, isn't yeah. that the, that's the balance? I feel like that's the balance, but well, I mean, we'll say. I, I mean, it, it's just like if you want fish to lose less, then you can train them, right? Like that's the well, thing that's that sites are doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think this is very obvious that sites should do this if they're. If they want to reduce the skill gap, then reduce the skill gap, right? Like, but it, it, what about this? Like, guys who are crushing a platform, right? So, fish or recreational players, they only play one table, maybe two, mm -hmm. right? Most of the time. Mm -hmm. Why give the option to play like 10 tables? If you don't want these people, why, why do you so, create a system that makes them thrive? Okay. So, I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good question. Um, the problem is, is that if you only let people play one table, you'd have a much harder time getting a lot of games going for starters. Because if you look at, uh, again, and, and then I'm going to give this in two, two scenarios. So one, look at the rest of the world market. Look at a poker stars or whatever. Two, look at a smaller market like where I am in New Jersey um even possibly acr i know it's technically rest of the world but it's smaller than like you know some of these other international sites and stuff as a site that's counter counterproductive with your goals of maximizing rake because the more sites more tables that are running the more rake you get um if you take five regulars let's say you have let's say you have a total of 10 people okay five regulars that are pros and five amateurs that are fish that are going to lose if you let them only play one table each, how many tables are going to run? Let's say there's six max tables, you're going to have two tables. You can have a four-handed and a six or five and five or a six and four or whatever it is. That's it. That's all that's going to run. If you took that same group and let those five regs play as many tables as they want, you're likely to have five tables running. Five regs, same five tables, and one fish at each of those tables. As a site, they make way more money that way. Um, so that's a problem. That's a problem when goals are so counterproductive, like they're counter yeah, productive. Like it, it doesn't line up with, with, with the site because the site's not going to stay in business if only two tables are running. It just, they don't make enough money. Yeah. It's um, clash, clashing incentives. And I, I think yeah, that exactly. it, it's just hard. It's just, it's just tough. This is why there's no, I don't think there's always a perfect answer for this because if you looked at a market like New Jersey now and you said, Oh, well you guys can only one table each. There would literally never be games. Like there's, there's problems. So at one point, WSOP started a table cap when it was New Jersey only. This was years ago. And there were problems where you couldn't get games. I couldn't get games to run because I would sit, I would sit like 
is in dollar one, two, two, five, five, ten, and ten, twenty. So if I want to try to set those limits to try to make those games run, and then I'm open sitting, and then one table runs, I think it was a six table cap, I can now no longer open sit, and now no one else in the lobby is going to open sit because they just don't want to. They don't want to weigh heads up and all that stuff. Now what's going to happen? No one's going to play. There's one table of one, two running with a seven person wait list because no one wants to start a game. That's yeah. a problem. I can't open sit another table now because I have my other tables filled. Now I can say, okay, well, I can open sit a one, two, but maybe then I can't try to start a five, ten. But I don't really want to play one, two. I'd rather play five, ten. I want to play higher, but I don't have that option anymore. Now five, ten is never going to run. And, and they, they generate more rake per hand at a five, ten table than they do as a, at a one, two table. Like it, it's, again, it's just, it, it's just, it's problematic, you know? So, so it, it's, it's, I think in, in, in theory, it's easy to say, oh, why don't we just do this? But in practice, you run into a lot of other problems, especially when you're... Well, we have, to, we have to nail down rule number one. Rule number one for the, the platform is to make as much money as possible, right? Now, this means letting people sit at multiple tables, which yeah. means the pros make more money, which means the platform is unhappy because the pros are making more money and they're having to pay for marketing for more fish to make deposits. And Well, you, what you said right there, they want to market to get more fish. There's only a certain number of people in the world at any given time that are interested in poker. It's very hard to convert those that are not into poker into poker. Like, it's a gambling thing. It just appeals to some people and it doesn't. So the idea of acquiring new players... If you get a new player that's never played poker before into poker, now compared to 2005, the seal, the skill cap, the skill ceiling, the skill gap between this new player and the, the pro is so much higher now than it was in 2005. The, the, the pro at the top not only plays the game better, but knows how to completely pick apart these weaker players way better than they used to in 2005. So that's a problem in itself. So the idea of acquiring new players is actually minus EV for a lot of sites because they spend this money, these guys lose so fast they don't come back. That's a problem. So that, that's what's getting to this problem of, well, where does poker go? Well, what happens then? I don't know. People still play at Borgata. They still spread games. Like, they still spread games at Bellagio. They spread games at Seminole Hard Rock down in Florida. Like, people still show up even after all this time and who are most likely recreational and losing players. And Maybe maybe the problem is more complicated than, and I don't doubt that the problem is more complicated than what I perceive it to be. I just think that the problem is the problem, and there there's no way around it. Like it exists. Period. There's nothing that you can do to reduce the edge that the pros have over a new player. Well, other I mean, other than educate that, them. Is that even fair to say you're too good at poker? You can't win this much. Like, like now, if you they want to, that, oh, I well, think. if you want to say that, oh, using a seeding script is that's unfair because you're you're cheating. You know, that's something that we're going to say is against the rules. I understand that. That makes sense. But you want to talk about, you know, in in a live game or just in a setting where, well, you know, some of these sites have shut players down for just winning too much money, not necessarily breaking the rules, just for being too winning. Good. Yeah. Like, and I think that's insane. Like. Because those players are just not as good for their economy, like I don't know. That's that's a tough. That's a tough sell. That is a tough sell, and I don't know why. 
you'd necessarily want to do that. I get it from a financial standpoint. And then it even makes some weaker players feel good because they're like, oh, the good players just can pick up the site. So me being a weaker player has a better shot to win. Like, so, but that feels like really wrong. We don't kick, you know, pro athletes off the basketball court for scoring too many points. Do we have market research on this, on what the recs feel when the games are easier? Like, do they no, actually think that? Like, that's impo- I, I've always been a proponent that that's impossible. You, you, you can't, it's very, very difficult to ask only people that are recreational players how they feel about certain situations. Because even if you blanket market your entire player base, you're going to hit people that have played one or two times. You're going to hit people that are casino players or whatever it may be. It's, it's really, it, it's really hard to get that on that. The players that you're going to get that are going to be more outspoken, that are going to be like, oh, I'm an amateur. I play a lot of tournaments, but I'm an amateur. Come ask me my opinion. That's probably a guy that's way more enthusiastic about poker than the average player. So his opinion is probably not as valid as, as that just complete amateur that really is playing occasionally and stuff. Um, yeah, I'd be interested of, to know. I, I'd be interested to know like yeah, how they how they actually feel. I don't know because I've heard it. I, I mean, I've spoken to. I'm pretty, you know, well known in, in the community here in the East Coast in New Jersey and stuff. And, and I speak to a, a bunch of different players that professional, semi-professional, amateur, you know, complete recreational. I get a bunch of different things. I, I get guys that talk about rake that I'm like, wait, do you even know what rake is? Like, I feel like you you never play. He's like, oh, well, I only play when I have a deposit bonus because the rake is better than I can rake back that way. And I'm like, like, okay, like this guy's decided he's, that's how he's going to make money in poker is by only getting the bonuses and figure that out. And then there's other players where I'm like, Oh, you should, you know, ask me a question about some uh, like, like loyalty points or something like that. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like go to your thing. You have loyalty points. You can cast them in for tournament tickets or whatever. And they're like, wait, I get points from playing. He's like, someone mentioned points. That's why I was asking you. I'm like, yeah, man, you get points. Go to your account. And they're like, I had no idea. Oh, dude, I had like $5,000. I haven't cashed it in 10 years. And I'm like, how do you not know that? Like, like you play, like you think that these are the type, like you get blasted with emails and promos. And you think there's just so many different player types out there that, again, I think it's just a really hard thing to narrow down and just get a blanket answer, a black and white answer. I don't know if it exists. Yeah, and it's probably not even useful, really. Like, I, I think that, like, I think the dream does matter, and kicking people out for, for winning, sure. winning too much for is, sure. is <laughs> to me, it's almost blasphemy. It's like, like everybody, it's like you hone a skill for decades, and then you're too good, and you can't play anymore because you, you, this you're is, too well, good this at the is game. Like going private, though. This is a circle. Look, look at this discussion we just had. We started out by saying, I don't like live poker, all these private games, all these politics. Okay, well, let's go back to the public games. But now, the, because there's an interest of the people who make the rake wanting there to be an even playing field and kicking out pro players, you're getting back to, oh, well, now the games go private because nobody wants to play in these public places that are kicking out winning players. So now, all of a sudden, it's me, the professional, and my other professional buddies trying to run a game and trying to appease recreational players playing our game over the casino game. It's a vicious circle. You can go yeah. back and forth like this for the foreseeable future, I would imagine. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, Until somebody I, comes up with the perfect solution, which I, I don't know if it exists. I mean, we'll see. Like, 
I guess we, we don't have awareness of it and we don't know what it is until we see it. And maybe it'll be like, Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. But nothing really right. makes sense. To, nothing makes sense to me that I can think of. And I've thought about this the problem biggest, a lot. The biggest thing for online that I've found that I think works the best is zoom tools because it's less bump hunting. It's less worrying about table selection or seat selection. It's less worrying about, you know, that type of stuff and more just get a hand, you play it. Whoever's at your table is at your table and it changes every single, it's random, like that kind of stuff. Um, I, I found that that's better. The other advantage to that is, you know, you want to talk about you're sitting around waiting for a game to start, you know, or something like that. Let's say you get, you know, one guy that wants to play 510 or 25 or whatever the limit is. There may be two, three, four, five, ten regulars that want to play against this guy. They can't all play one six-handed table, but if there's a Zoom pool, there's probably going to be all those guys in that pool now, and you're going to have times where there are five regulars or six regulars playing against each other, which is what you want as a poker site. You want all of that happening at once. Um, so for me, I think that's like a, a nice kind of option. The problem is not everyone loves Zoom. Some guys don't like it. They don't like too fast-paced, or they don't like bouncing around tables. They like sitting there. They like developing that dynamic with people and seeing how people are playing and you know i'm talking more about you know recreational players but again this is one of those things that it's 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 not perfect it's not a perfect solution this and i think it's just going to be stuff is just going to change some sites are going to have zoom some sites are going to have this some sites are going to have that it's and it's whatever people like are they're going to gravitate towards that site uh is I think too, like I know this much about poker players. If I've if I've learned anything in a few decades in this game, it's that you can't exclude the pros because they'll figure out a way in, no matter cool. like like you can kick them out of a casino. I guess you can blackball. Like as it relates to like online operators, I mean it, it's just very difficult to keep them out, especially if like there's games, good games going. And they want to play in those games. They'll play under somebody else's identification. They'll VPN in. They'll have a remote desktop. They'll do whatever it takes to get into games. You know, I mean, that's just yeah. And that's why that. I mean, that's again, you're 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 just punishing those willing to follow the rules in that situation. And the people that are willing to do shady things or illegal or against the rules things are going to get away with stuff, like you're saying. Um, you know, and I think you're right. There is a place for pros. And the other thing is that recreational players mostly or somewhat, they want pros there. Do you want to go, if you're a guy, you know how many times I've talked to people that tell me, oh, I went to the casino and I sat down and, oh, you know, I played with, I played with, played with Phil Ivey. You know, he came over and he sat down and I was like, oh man, but I won this one pot off of him. And, like they want to tell that story. Like that is the story that, you know, you you grew up wanting to tell. And that's what makes poker such a beautiful game. You know, people say, hey, you can't throw down, you know, you can't just go and play golf with Tiger Woods or basketball with Michael Jordan if you want to. But if you throw down the money, you can go play in this tournament and you're probably going to get seated with some of these big names. If you want to play with the real big names, you throw down $100,000 you go to this. You're going to get big names at your table. Like, that's the beauty of poker. So, so you can't take that away, you know? Yeah, it's it, and, and it's, trying to take that away, take away that dream, the idea of oh, I beat so and so, and now I have all this money, and I went on to like, like, like that loses the essence of 
Uh, yeah, I mean, think about Rounders, right? Like it's he he made a move on Chan, right? He didn't make a move on some tourist in in exactly. Atlantic City. He made a move that's on true. Chan. That's, that's why it matters. If that's uh, that was Joe Schmo sat down and you know I blocked him. Oh, okay, great. Like, right? Yeah, and it, that's that's the fun and the beauty of poker. And I hope, I mean, for what it's worth, like I, I hope the operators figure it out. I, I hope that something happens, right? That that's. But I, I don't say, know. I think that I think that from an overall perspective, a lot of operators are doing a really good job. Like, I, I think that there, are, like we've talked about, a lot of the things that have been problems and stuff. That I think a lot of the stuff has been solved. Um, you know, I, I a large percentage of my volume comes from the regulated market of New Jersey, which thankfully, it's it's great. Like, it, it really is good compared to what I've seen before Black Friday and and, and after from different sites and different markets and stuff like operators are on top of things if there's someone trying to break the rules or something which i can really only think of one example of it was dealt with quickly you know um and and it, it's really good to see that and that's i think that that's the the great thing going forward about regulated poker too is that like there's more of a legal standing behind stuff and players are more afraid to do something nefarious because they're actually could be breaking laws if they're doing that yeah and, and they could be found just like you could cheat it in a casino you could be, you know, actually face legal trouble. It's the same thing with these online casinos. And, and that's why I think it's so much, such a better environment overall um, because of that. So I, I, I encourage people, you know, you, there's definitely been people out there that have said, oh, I don't like so-and-so site because it's small or it's not this or it's not that. But I highly encourage people, uh, you know, if you're in a state that has regulated poker to check it out. If you tried it once and you didn't like it, come back because it's probably different than when it first started. A lot of stuff, especially with the government and with regulation, starts slower than it uh, than it is now. And then it takes some time to get rolling. Um, and if you have a, if you're in a state that doesn't have regulated poker, you know, petition your right to your congressman and your governors and whoever else and say, hey, we want poker. I want to play poker because it is something that is changing. And there are a lot of states that are coming on board now. Um, you know, we saw Michigan just go and Pennsylvania's got a six sites that are more coming on board now. And, uh, you're seeing bills every week in different States saying, Hey, we're going to get maybe sports betting, maybe poker. So make sure you get poker in there and hearing from people that like to play and want to play is what makes these legislators want to change the laws and want to put this stuff in there. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what will change things is legalization, regulation across multiple States and, laws protecting players because when there when there's no disincentive to doing something shady people will do something shady like what what are the ignition police going to come after somebody like calvin 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 air is like banned from america so like you know what i mean it's like there's no unfortunately there's no downside to colluding to cheating but like if there's laws if there's a prison sentence if there's massive fines if you can get in actual trouble then that curbs a lot of rta it curbs a lot of cheating to only the people who are you know the the most desperate or just the most uh, bold um i guess is the right word but yeah i mean basically the might of the might of the government and actual real penalties is really just a totally necessary thing in, in this world. It, it, it really is. And it's, it's also like, I feel so much safer putting a bunch of money 
onto these sites that are regulated that I know have to legally, you know, have enough money to cover my deposits and they can't do things. And like I said, I work with Borgata and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of know some of the details of some of how many hoops they have to jump through to do certain things with, you know, money and stuff, because there are so many laws protecting the players and protecting, uh, you know, on what the sites can and can't do that it's, 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 it's refreshing. It's, it's nice. The player having those protections in place. Yeah. Um, Must be nice. Michael must be nice. Definitely, definitely privileged. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I I'm, I'm hoping the markets get bigger and more States come on board and that type of stuff. Um, because I don't always have, you know, I don't always have the volume and everything that I, I want, but I'm very lucky to be in a state that has regulated poker. I, I, I love it. I love playing. I, and, I um, think I, as well I, might, I might shit my pants if like I did a cash out and I could go to a casino and they gave me money, like, or that I knew I, that yeah. like, like, I, I don't know what I would do with myself. It's like the it's the best. It, it's the, it, it really is. I, I play these thrones at Borgata and before I come down, I just like withdraw and you know, that, it's great. It really is. I go to the casino and I don't have to worry about going to the bank. I don't have to worry about doing that. I can get, I don't know what their, there's a limit or what the limit is, but it's pretty high and I'll get enough money to play in this, you know, WPT and it's awesome. It's another thing that we had back in the day too, is like, you know, full tilt poker and poker stars. There were ads on ESPN in primetime. I mean, just, they were big. They were generating a lot of money. They had a giant marketing budget. They were bringing a lot of people in poker and the fragmentation, there's less money. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's very brutal ever since that. You're getting there. You're, you're getting there. I mean, it's taken a number of years, but the more states that come on board, the more gambling in general becomes popular, poker comes with it. You know, you can't, people want to play. It's, a, it's an amazing game and it's fun to play. People will always want, want to play. So you, if there's people looking to play, there will be a site that is willing to offer it. Oh, for sure. And for the 90% of us in the U.S. who are not in a legally regulated site, we wait for the day to where, you know, we can just put money somewhere and it's you safe. Write, write to the right people, vote for the right people that, that want to bring this type of stuff. And, you know, some places it's obviously more likely than others, but uh, nothing's impossible. So, so you, you really come down to people and get out there and, you know, and do what you got to do because it does, it does make a difference. It doesn't feel like it always does, and it takes time, but it, it, it definitely makes a difference. Awesome, man. Um, so we've gone. I, I don't even know. We we've skipped over the the template and all the questions, and we've we've been going for almost two hours. Um, and so with that said, I I very much would like to invite you back to kind of go through some of the other stuff that I typically go through. But I love these conversations, especially somebody that's plugged in to a regulated market, right? It's not, for sure, for it, sure. I, I've done 140 episodes of this or so, and it's rare to have somebody that is plugged into like an actual, uh, there's just not many. There's just not many of us. I mean, there's only four markets now in the, I guess five, we count Delaware, which is like kind of not even a market. Um, but, uh, nothing against you from Delaware, but it's, yeah. Well, that, why, why are you shitting on Delaware okay, so right at the end? Delaware, they... <laughs> Delaware doesn't count because, <laughs> they don't technically like have any operators in the state. They just have like piggybacked off of like Nevada. They just have a weird version of the software. And for a while they couldn't even play in like the tournaments that were happening out of their state. So it was this really weird thing. I actually don't even know exactly where they land these days, but they're kind of a half market. Cause if you look up their like numbers, there's almost no one that plays there. I mean, there are, 
what are they? I think they're the second small state population wise or third in, in the in the country. So um, let me think about that. Because actually, that may not be true. Maybe they're fourth lowest. They're there, pretty low. There's not. There's that. there's one person listening to this podcast right now who you made a fan that's sitting in Delaware that at the end is saying, fuck this guy. <laughs> Delaware is the fifth smallest <laughs> state in the United States. We, we count. We're not a, <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. I have to be honest. I haven't given much thought to Delaware in my life. So. <laughs> no, I don't, think, I don't think a lot of people have. Oh, it's not that low. It's, oh, man. it's the sixth, it's the sixth lowest. Yeah. Uh, six lowest. It's under a million people, Delaware. And but it's, now, that's not enough for poker. That's my point. Yeah, now now my podcast gets a lot of one star ratings from citizens I'm, of Delaware right at the end. Well, at least there's not many of them. So yeah, there's like seven of them, so we're safe. Um, so I would love to come back. That'd be great. Yeah, just let me know. Man, uh, we'll wrap up with. Um, where can, if people want to learn more about you, do you still offer coaching? Uh, so, so I do, but I, I'm pretty booked these days. I don't coach as much as I used to. My eight hour marathon days of coaching are long behind me, I, I think, but you can find me, uh, I gags30poker.com is my website. There's more information about me and my coaching and ways to get in touch with me and stuff. And also on Twitter at gags30poker would be, you know, the two of the best ways. Yeah, don't bother contacting him if you're from Delaware. You can, you can find me on the East Coast of New Jersey. And, you know, when poker starts getting uh, getting going some more with some more Borgata tournaments and, and stuff, uh, I'll, I'll be here. And hopefully you'll see me for the World Series at some point if that, whenever that comes back. So It'll probably come back this year, man. Um, and yeah. I've heard, they- heard some rumors, but uh, we'll see. Nothing, I don't think anything's Who knows? Or not. Who could who could predict six months in the future, right? Like at, at this point, yeah, so n- nothing surprises me. Hopefully, everybody just gets their vaccines and we can start moving forward and get you know back to at least getting some more live big live series. Yes, so. write your Congress people and get your vaccine, listener. Thank you very much, and we'll get Thanks live poker back. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> man, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate you, so you, and we'll do we'll do the round two in the very near future, sir. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.